Good evening. Hi, guys. <laughs> A couple of people here, that's good. Uh, tonight's Bible reading will come from uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Should be on the screen, yep. Okay, I'll be reading from the NIV. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that, the, that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So men came bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming, but he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their, uh, in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say? Which is easier, to say the, to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Amen. Thank you so much, Josh. We're good. One, two. Okay. We've got quite a bit of ground to cover this evening. Um, I'm doing Mark chapter 2, uh, verses, uh, sorry, through to uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 12. So there's quite a bit to cover there. So I ask you to keep your scriptures open so you can actually follow through what we're doing. And uh, there will be some sections that I do actually skip over. So um, again, I just ask that um, you go home and you read this and you allow God to speak to you with the bits that we don't actually touch on, because I think that there's a lot for us to get out of this huge chunk of scripture. So as we come to this passage tonight, I just want to give a word of warning as well. You know, so often we read scripture that is familiar to us and we have a tendency to skip over it because we know that story. And I've got to be quite honest with you, when I read the first 12, chapter, uh, first 12 verses of this chapter, I did exactly the same thing. I said, well, I won't cover that because we've covered that so frequently in church. You know, we should get into the other stuff and do a bit more with that. After repenting and asking God for his forgiveness, I came back to that and I use, I'm going to use that uh, section this evening. So I'm asking, don't just read scripture. Don't just listen to what I'm saying. Don't just allow this to be something that you do. This is the living word of God. It is relevant to us. It speaks to us each and every time we open it. If you've read this before, it doesn't matter. If you know this story, it doesn't matter. God's got something to say to us this evening. So I'm just asking you to keep open hearts and minds and pray for God to speak to you this evening. Ask that the Father speak to you because he wants to. He wants to instruct us. He wants to guide us and he wants to teach us. And that's what I hope you get out of this evening. Let's just pause and pray.
Father God, I thank you so much that we can be gathered here this evening. And Lord, my prayer is very simple again. I just ask that you allow us to hear your voice in the message that is here this evening. Thank you that you have taught me. Thank you, Lord, that there's a powerful message if we're willing to listen to you and Holy Spirit. So Father, I submit to you. Please use me for your glory this evening, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Am I better on stage? Is that going to continue to be an issue? Stage? Yep, okay. I'm moving. going to keep going we're good all throughout mark as we look at this um, book we see that jesus is revealing the presence of god's kingdom by demonstrating his power while here on earth and when we look back to mark chapter 1 verse 1 this is what is actually said the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ the son of god And Mark is determined to show us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He makes this clear by demonstrating that Jesus has authority over a number of things all throughout the book of Mark. And so what he's saying is that Jesus has authority or he is Lord over all things. So the first thing that we see as we come into this chapter this evening is that Jesus is Lord over sin. He has authority over sin. And as Jesus' ministry begins, it seems that he's not going to be pulling any punches, especially in Mark. And so he does and says things that break the established norms. And it seems that Jesus is coming in to um, turn the accepted um, or established norms on their heads. He wants religion turned around. He doesn't want people to continue in the way that the religious forces are going and in that day and age. And so we find that the Pharisees have made faith in God more about what you should and shouldn't do rather than having a relationship with God. And Jesus changes that. And the passage that was read out tonight holds the boldest statement that Jesus has told so far. But let's think about that story. And I want you to think about being in this place at this time. Jesus obviously now calls Capernaum home. And uh, he's moved up from Nazareth. He was in Nazareth. He comes to Capernaum. And we don't know if he's actually staying in Simon Peter's house or if he's got a house of his own. But either way, he's within 100 or so metres of the synagogue. Capernaum's not a very big place. I've actually been there. I've, I've seen the synagogue. I've seen Simon Peter's house. And it's just a walk down the road. And so Jesus is in this place and Jesus doesn't limit his ministry to going into the synagogue on the Sabbath. Jesus is open to speak about faith anytime he can. He's open to speak about the things of God anytime he can. And so we come into this story and wherever Jesus is, these people have gathered to hear from him. And these people have heard that he's home and they come. And we're told that the house was full. The doorways were blocked. I'd imagine the windows were too. I'd imagine there'd be people out on the street as well. They all want to catch a glimpse of Jesus. And why are they there? Perhaps they've heard about some of the miracles that Jesus have done. And they just want to see some of that. They want to see him do something amazing. Perhaps they've just heard about Jesus and they come just to catch a glimpse of him. For whatever reason. Perhaps they come because they too want healing. We don't know, but they've all gathered there. Whatever the reason, they were gathered in great numbers. So much so, there was no room. 
inside. And you can imagine that heat, get, that, that room heating up and things like that. You've been in those situations where there's a ton too many people in one room. And you can imagine some people are perhaps getting a little bit restless. But as is Jesus' habit, when these people gather, he seizes that opportunity and he tells them the good news, the gospel message, including the fact that these people need to repent. And they need to submit to God. And then there's these other guys. These other guys bring along their mate. They're desperately trying to get in to see Jesus. They don't want his, their mate to miss out. And of course, their mate can't go on his own. And so the doors are blocked, the windows are blocked, the crowd is so packed together that as these guys try to weave through, there's absolutely no hope. But they're desperate and they're determined and they're not going to give up. They want to put their friend right before Jesus and they don't know how they're going to do that, but they keep pressing on. And so they get up onto the roof of this place. Most of the dwellings in Capernaum were single-story dwellings. So they get up onto the roof of this place and there would have just been thatched there. And you can imagine if, as you're standing in that room, if you're in that room, it's very hot and things like that. And initially all you get is a little bit of stuff starting to fall on your head. And it's like, what's going on here? You don't really pay a lot of attention. Then after a while you feel this breeze. You know, you've been in that case where just one window's open and suddenly this little breeze comes through. Things change. And it's like, actually something's happening. And then you realize there's something above you and suddenly you can see stars. The, the whole roof has been opened up. And this guy gets lowered down and he ends up right in front of Jesus. And so his friends have achieved something that looked impossible. And so Jesus was speaking and suddenly that's all interrupted. He stops. And this guy's before him. And Jesus had watched him getting lowered down, laying there at his feet. And Jesus looks at his friends who are on the roof, peering down, pretty chuffed with themselves with what they've achieved. No doubt smiles on their faces. And he knows. He knows how determined these guys have been. How hard it was for them to get this guy into the very presence of Jesus. But more than that, he knows their hearts. He knows their faith. He knows that they believe that Jesus can make a difference for their friend. And they have no doubt. I believe they're waiting in eager expectation of whatever Jesus is going to do. And Jesus looks at their friend. And for everyone gathered there, if you were there, you included, it is blatantly obvious what this man needs. He can't walk. He needs to be able to walk. But Jesus, Jesus always sees beyond the obvious. And Jesus looks on this man and he knows the man needs to walk. But he knows something deeper than that. He knows this man is living in sin. He knows this man has unrepentant sin. And so the healing that Jesus brings to this man is the sin first. Listen to the way Jesus speaks to him. Son. There's such intimacy in that. Son, your sins are forgiven. It's an incredible statement. And I don't know about you. 
on that night when I knew my sins had been forgiven. I wasn't a paralytic. I wasn't lowered down or anything like that. But on that night when I knew my sins were forgiven, something changed in me. It was a powerful time. It was an incredible time. And this guy is laying at Jesus' feet. Jesus had eyeballed him and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. And I believe something happened within him. I believe he was laying there, a grin on his face, tears pouring off his face. He didn't care about the fact he couldn't walk. His sins had been forgiven. Do we understand what an incredible miracle that is that Jesus has given to this guy? And he's, he's forgiven his sins. And the joy that he would have felt, how thankful he would have been. I can imagine him laying on the floor looking up at his mates and he couldn't gesture or anything like that. But he's like, thank you, thank you, this is awesome. Thank you for doing this for me. And then the guys who were gathered around, the naysayers, the ones who should have been at the forefront saying, this is the one we've spoken about. This is Messiah. They're going, is he serious? There's only one who can forgive sins. God only. And they're right. It's true. Only God can forgive sins. And so this ripple goes through the room. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. The whole place is suddenly shaken up. Because this isn't just about healing. This is about hope. Everything's changed. And this declaration, this statement of Jesus, these words that he speak, address the biggest problem that is between man and God. Can you imagine the hope that was ignited in this man this night? Could you imagine how transformed he was because Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven. And the leaders, the ones who should have been celebrated and were indignant, they're saying, how can he forgive sins? This is Jesus, the Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And they don't acknowledge him because he's not what they expected. They wanted someone who was going to overthrow the Romans. And this is the first time in the history where a God is said to be humble and is used to bring honour to him. A God is said to be gracious and is used again to honour him. A God is said to be a servant and again it is used to honour him. We know their words of strength and power but what Jesus was doing was so vastly different to what they expected. And this man, he's laying there. As I say, I believe tears were pouring down his face, soaking his bed. I'm forgiven. How incredible, how powerful. And he knows in his heart of hearts that Jesus has forgiven him. And he sees himself as healed, restored into a right relationship before God. And he needs no more. He honestly needs no more. But they're those hard hearts that are present. And so Jesus gives a demonstration of the power of God that has been entrusted to him. Mark 2.10 says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And what did this guy do? He stood up and he walked out. And if there's any medical professionals here, I don't know how long it takes, but if you're laid up in bed, it's only a very short period of time before you can't actually walk. 
you have to relearn walking. This guy had been paralysed for who knows how long. And he gets up and he walks out of that place. And could you imagine what that is like? You know, you know this guy. If you were part of Capernaum, Capernaum's not a big place. You know this guy. You know that he's been a paralytic. And suddenly he gets up and he walks outside. And they proclaim, we have never seen anything like this before. And they've never seen anything like this before because they've never had the Son of God in their presence before. And so when we think about Jesus, when we think about this incredible thing, we see that Jesus is Lord over sin. Amen? And he's still Lord over sin in your life tonight. And any sin that you've committed, you can bring to him. And he is Lord over that. He can forgive it, just as he did for this man. But more than just being Lord over sin, he's also Lord over our lives. And we see that in the next section that we moved into. As, as we continue this story, um, we see that Jesus comes in chapter 13, that he's wa- sorry, verse 13, that he's walking by the sea. And there's this huge crowd of people following him. Again, they just, they just wanted to see what he was doing and things like that. And he comes across Levi. And this is Levi. Most believe that this is actually Levi Matthew, another guy with two names in Scripture. And I'm quite happy to go with that. But regardless of whether he's another guy or not, it really doesn't matter. But Levi sees Jesus and Jesus sees him. And he calls out to Levi and he said, come follow me I've tried this walking past total strangers follow me no I'm serious seriously I got nothing doesn't work but think about who Levi is he's a tax collector I mean this is there's no other way to say this guy's scum of the earth I mean, seriously, he's been placed at this intersection of trade routes to collect tolls, tariffs, customs and other compulsory payments. And these men, tax collectors, are known for their dishonesty. They're known to increase what they should be charging. And um, they make false valuations on goods as well so they can again charge more. And they're despised and hated by everyone. The Jews see anyone of their own race that is a tax collector as being someone who has betrayed them as a people. That's how seriously they take this. And so these guys, scum of the earth, if I was writing the Bible, would not even get a mention as far as being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wouldn't even think they were worthy of following him. But Christ's economy is different to mine. Praise God for that. He calls Levi. And there's something about Jesus. We're told in other parts of Scripture that he was a plain man to look upon. But there was something about Jesus that drew people to him. He had this magnetic personality, if you like. And people were just drawn to him for some reason. And so Levi leaves his booth and follows Jesus. It's incredible. And they go to Jesus' house. We're told that. And so... um, And they're reclining at the table. And we don't know where that is. But there's a great many other tax collectors and sinners that are gathered there. And this ragtag mob is enjoying Jesus' hospitality. He's opened his house. They're reclining at the table. They're enjoying food together. And the Pharisees are appalled. They can't believe that Jesus could eat with tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees knew these men. They knew who they were. These are the men who failed to listen to their guidance. These are the men who wouldn't do what they told them to do. These are the men who didn't know anything about true holiness. 
how they should not associate with the Gentiles, how they shouldn't be practicing condemned trades like tax collecting and tanning. And this is where Jesus is so vastly different to them. He doesn't just preach repentance. He doesn't just tell people to repent of their sins. He crosses cultural, social, and religious barriers. And he does it to befriend people. He wants them to know true love. He wants them to know acceptance. He wants them to feel valued. He wants them to feel respected. He wants them to feel heard. And he wants them to feel included. And it's interesting, the ones who think that they have it all together, the ones who think they're on top of their game and above everyone else, are the ones who aren't often included. Jesus speaks to these people, the Pharisees at that time, and the same message echoes down to us through the ages as well. It's the sick who need the doctor. It's the lame who need the crutch. It's the blind who need a guide. And we recognise our desperate need in light of who Jesus Christ is. He will meet us at our point of need regardless of who we are and what we have, regardless of what we have done. In God's love, in God's love, there is no holy and unholy. There is no clean and unclean. There is no righteous and sinner. He calls us all. He is Lord of our lives. It's just that many of us don't recognise it. third point tonight is Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath we're skipping over a section on fasting and uh, going to verse 23 in the midst of this account we we have this oh sorry in the midst of the miracles we've got this little account um, or a rebuke that sets up the next miracle that Jesus performs and these ever-present watchmen around Jesus um, look upon his disciples and see that what they're doing is unlawful and they're harvesting grain on the sabbath and the reality of the situation is that the disciples were hungry and while they're walking by the fields they plucked off some heads of grain and they rubbed it between their hands so they could actually eat whatever it was we're assuming that it was actually wheat and this is one of those cases where the naysayers are seeking each and every opportunity to criticize and condemn And so the commandment that they're referring to is the fourth commandment about keeping the Sabbath holy as listed in Exodus 28. And the reality is that what the disciples were doing was actually okay, even by their own law. Um, But the Pharisees had taken the law and they'd interpreted it in such a way that the Sabbath became more about what you couldn't do rather than the Sabbath being a time of spiritual engagement and renewal. And it became a day of legalistic constraint. And Jesus quotes what David did. He ate the bread of the presence, a most holy offering that was to be eaten by the priests alone in a most holy place. They actually couldn't even eat it outside. And David took it and gave it to his companions and they ate it. 
And when we think about who did this, we see that David would become the king of Israel one day. And he was one of the forefathers of the promised Messiah. And we know that David is portrayed as a type of king Messiah. So it was who he was that legitimized his actions in eating the bread. And the Pharisees knew this. And they would have made that argument when it came to David. And we think about who's standing before them. Jesus Christ of the line of David, the promised Messiah. And we know that David is portrayed as that king. But it is Jesus who by his power and authority can set aside the regulations of the Sabbath that they've set up. But there's even a deeper meaning than that. Jesus wanted to indicate that the law had become such that it hindered true religion. Jesus wanted people to see that necessity overrides the positive enactment of the law. The Sabbath was made for man, for his physical, mental, moral and spiritual well-being. And Jesus declares that the Sabbath was made for man and not the other way around. The Sabbath is a day where we should set it aside to reflect on all God has done in creation. Not just nature, but in our lives as well. To reflect on him, who he is, what he has done for us. And in taking that time to rest in him. And when we do rest in him, we reconnect with him. And when we do that, we make him Lord of our Sabbaths. And we receive the greatest benefit possible from those times. So Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And the final thing we're going to look at this evening is the fact that he is Lord over disease. The confrontation regarding, oh sorry, with the Pharisees regarding his disciples eating grain and everything like that sets up this encounter on the Sabbath. And uh, Jesus enters the synagogue and there's a man there with a withered hand. And uh, some of the other accounts of this says, behold, a man with a withered hand. It's, it's like he was set there as a prop and it was put, he was put there on purpose to see what Jesus would do. And we know even that as Jesus enters this, it's obvious that this man with the withered hand is there. And there's much speculation over what this man was suffering from. But some believe it was polio. Some believe it was a wasting disease. Regardless, this man has suffered greatly because of his inability to use his right arm. Luke tells us it's his right arm. And these critics are there again, waiting and watching heart of heart, not willing to consider that there could be a human element here that they failed to consider. There was a murmuring, and just as Jesus enters, that stops. All eyes are on him. They want to know what he's going to do. They're looking at Jesus. They occasionally flick to the man with the withered hand. They look back at Jesus to see what he's going to do. What will he do? He calls to the man, come here. And they're both now the centre of the action. All eyes are on them. And Jesus asks, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? Dead silence. They refuse to answer because of their hardness of heart. And because the answer should be obvious. They know the action that they're going to take. And I'm sure they know what Jesus is going to do. We're told that Jesus looked around at them in anger because of their hardness of heart. They didn't want Jesus to heal this man. They wanted Jesus to submit to them, to their authority, what they believed was right. 
and their hearts were so hard. And Jesus turns to this man and says, stretch out your hand. I don't even believe Jesus had to raise his voice. I don't believe he even had to gesture. I believe he made a proclamation and this man's hand was healed immediately. And the Pharisees, well, just like everyone else, they saw great cause for celebration, didn't they? No, they left immediately and plotted how they might destroy Jesus. And again, the rest of the people were amazed. They have never seen anything like this. And seriously, could you imagine anything more incredible if someone was to walk in here tonight and said, I've been told to come here so that you could pray for me and my arm would be healed. I'd get Jeff Island to come up and pray for him. But the thing is, if we're called to pray for them, and we prayed for them, and you, you guys here as witnesses were praying with us, and we said, Lord, we can't do this. You, by power of Holy Spirit, heal this man. Could you imagine what you'd do if this guy's arm just stretched out? And it was restored. How incredible. How powerful. It'd be an incredible celebration. I'd stay up all night. I wouldn't be able to sleep. It'd be amazing. And that's what happened in this place. That's exactly what they did. And instead of celebrating, these guys said, man, we're going to nail him. We are going to destroy him. We are going to make sure he is dead. Jesus showed he is Lord over disease. But they didn't want any part of it. I believe there's much for us to think about this evening. I think each of these stories, there's something that we can identify with. And I want you to think about those guys with the paralyzed friend. I want you to think about the determination they had in getting their friend to Jesus. I want you to think about the fact that they wouldn't accept anything less than having, them right, having his, their mate right before Jesus' feet. They had so many obstacles to overcome. They had so many barriers that they had to push through. And so many people possibly would have objected as they tried to push through and those types of things. And yet they didn't give up. They didn't accept anything less than getting him into the very presence of Jesus. Now I want you to think about your mates. And do we show a similar determination? Do we come continuously on our knees for those friends of ours who do not know Jesus? And do we come with that determination to do everything we can in order to bring him into the very presence of God? Or do we shy away from that because we, we, we are embarrassed or we're afraid? We don't know how they'll react or respond. And these friends we talk about, they're controlled by sin. They're led away by the things of this world. And sometimes, sometimes we just get to this point where we think they're a lost cause and we give up on them. Are they beyond redemption? Are they beyond being saved by our Lord Jesus Christ? No. It's us that have given up on them, not Jesus. I want you to think about those people. I want you to reconsider your commitment in bringing them into the very presence of Jesus. I want you to think about 
those family members who you've given up hope on. I want you to think about your friends at work, your colleagues, your neighbours, your classmates, your uni mates. Don't give up on them. And I want to challenge you. If there's a name that has come to mind, or more names, more than one that's come to mind, I want you to come forward after the last song tonight. And I'm willing to be here all night praying for those people with you. I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you to bring these people into the presence of God, not just tonight, each and every day. And each and every moment, Jesus brings them to mind. Let's be determined. What about you? Perhaps you're in a point where your faith has stalled, where you think that something has happened in your past or something that has happened just recently that voids your ability to be used in God's kingdom. You think about Levi and his mates, they were the dregs of society. They were despised by the Jews. In fact, they were disowned and cast out. They were pathetic in their eyes. I want you to think about what Jesus did with them. Jesus called Levi to be his disciple. He became one of the guys on the inner circle. And so in Jesus' kingdom, he has a purpose and a reason for each one of us. Jesus doesn't allow class, race, religion, education or anything else to hinder people coming into his kingdom. And it's more than that. He doesn't, disc he doesn't discount anyone from being able to serve. And tonight, if you're here tonight, Jesus has you here for a reason and a purpose. If you're part of SDBC, you have a role to play in this place that I personally cannot do. And I want to encourage you that Jesus is calling you to give all of yourself to him. And whatever it is you have, he's asking you to offer it to him so he can use you for his purposes. Don't believe the voice that tells you you're worthless. Don't believe the voice that tells you you have nothing to offer. If that's you, I want you to come forward tonight after the song. I want you to recommit your very life to Jesus tonight. I want you to begin that journey of restoration with him. And it's an incredible journey. He can do great things. I'm a pastor. I mean, it's truth. If I can be a pastor, he can use you guys to do so much more. So much more. And then there's the fact that we've heard this evening that Jesus is Lord over many things. And I believe Jesus is Lord over all. And the question is, some of us have given our life to Jesus, but it's just something we say. And, and when we talk about Jesus being Lord of our lives, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And so we've held a little bit back of ourselves. And so tonight, perhaps Jesus is saying to you, I want everything. I want you to open the floodgates. I want you to show me the good, the bad, the incredibly ugly. And it doesn't matter because I know already and let's face it, I accepted Levi, I'll accept you. And if that's you, I want you to commit your life fully to him tonight. And trust me, there's got, there'll be celebrations in heaven. There'll be celebration here for crying out loud. 
Don't leave tonight if God's laying that on your heart. We are going to pass from this life to the next sometime. Lord forbid, but it could be someone tonight. Someone sitting here could pass from this life to the next tonight. And the question is, when that happens for you, will Jesus be standing on your side? Would have you accepted him as your Lord and Saviour? Or will you have to stand before God without Jesus and face his wrath and judgment? If that's you, I really want to talk to you. I'm not going to break your arms to make a commitment, but I really want to talk to you about Jesus Christ and the difference he can make in your life. I don't want anyone here to face a Christless eternity. And when we think about the stories we've read tonight, there's a few other individuals around the place. We've got those Pharisees. They're always on the fringe. They're always nitpicking. They're always looking for fault. They're always looking to put down. Christ can change them too. And if you see a bit of that in yourself, I ask you to repent. I ask you to come to Jesus and ask for his forgiveness. I ask you to start a life with him again. Humble yourself before him. He has a great plan even for you. And then there's those who are part of the crowd. In all those stories, there was always a crowd. I think it's a good thing when you read scripture to say, what's the crowd doing? And so this crowd is just looking on and they're enjoying the miracles of Jesus. They're enjoying being part of this group. They're seeing some of the benefits and they're just hangers on. And I think Jesus wants more than that from you. He doesn't want you just to follow along with the crowd because of what's going on around you. He, he wants you to understand who he is and the life you could have in him. So again, if you're part of the crowd, think about committing to Jesus. Think about what he's calling you to. We've also got people who their entire Christian life is about Sunday. I want to encourage you to make it more than that. I, I would love it. If the format of our services totally changes and Sunday becomes a day of celebration, Sunday's a day where we say, okay, guys, what did Jesus do this week? And we just have people pouring out the divine appointments that they had, those that were brought into the kingdom, those who have recommitted to lives, those who have been able to help others who needed healing and things like that, those who needed people to come alongside them. And then we just celebrate that, the great things that God's done. It'd be such a blessing, wouldn't it? You imagine how much more we would sing praises to God if we could see his hand in each other's lives continuously. Let's make our walk, our Christianity, more than Sunday. And think about Jesus. He possibly could have said, well, I'm just going to preach and proclaim in the synagogue, but he didn't. Every time he had opportunity when people gathered, he was feeding them, but then he'd always tell them the good news. If you have people gathering in your house, don't shy away from your faith. Tell them about the good news. That's part of who you are. And we've had some great experiences having people into our house and we explain to the ones who aren't Christians, hey, we always pray before a meal. So we just like to pray. And they're all open to it. And then we talk about our faith. Often they ask questions about, well, why do you do that? What's that got to do with anything? And they engage with that. People are genuinely interested when you show your faith is a genuine thing. Can I encourage you? Seek every opportunity to talk about our Lord and Saviour. And if Jesus isn't real in your life, if you've said these things, if you've made commitments and he's not real in your life, I want to talk to you again. 
I want to encourage you. You can go so much deeper. Our Lord desperately loves each and every one of us. And again, I know Jesus is speaking to people, but I ask you, do not leave here tonight unless you deal with that. That's not for Charlie. I get no benefit from her whatsoever. This is a kingdom thing. It's your eternity. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord. It is alive and real to us. And Lord, I just... Father, I know you've spoken to people. Lord, let them act on that. Help us not to leave tonight without asking for prayer. And Lord, I know there's so many of us who should be praying for our friends who should be desperate to bring him into the kingdom, who should want to seize every opportunity in doing so. Forgive us for not doing that, Lord. But Lord, for those tonight who you've laid down their hearts, a person or more, bring them forward, Lord. Let's pray for this. Let's celebrate that you've called them to do that. And Lord, for those who've never thought about committing their life to you or need to recommit their life to you, don't let them leave. Don't let them rest, Lord. Give them the courage to come forward. There is no judgment at the front. Just celebration that they've seen their need. Lord, we submit to you. We love you. I desperately need more of you. Allow that to happen tonight, I pray, Jesus. Amen.